Welcome to the PSR Power Talk podcast, produced by Power Systems Research. Hello, my name is John Kruzicki. Today, it's my pleasure to host the Power Systems Living on the Edge series, the show where we have conversation with industry experts on their insight into the future of intelligent technology. With over 30 years of experience supporting the manufacturing industry, I have seen an unbelievable change in technology. One of today's challenges is designing equipment used to manage power for the upcoming wave of data. Today's conversation will be centered around microgrids. Today's my pleasure to introduce our guest speaker, Tom Bourgeois. Tom is the uh, Deputy Director for PACE Energy and Climate Center. Tom has published several papers around energy infrastructure and is involved with supporting several energy organizations. Welcome, Tom. I'm glad you could join us today. If you could give us a little insight on who PACE Energy is and kind of a little bit of a background on for yourself, that would be great. Well, John, first of all, thank you very much for this opportunity. I'm uh, pleased to have a chance to talk about the work that we do and um, some of the exciting areas that I think that uh, society is moving in and that we are, are taking part in. I'm the deputy director of the Pace Energy and Climate Center. We're at the Elizabeth Hobbs School of Law at Pace University. Our program was named number one environmental law school in the country by US News and World Report this year and in 2019, two of the last three years. Uh, we were formed uh, more than 30 years ago by former Congressman Dick Ottinger, who chaired the House Energy Committee uh, during the Carter presidency and, and uh, President Reagan. We're very much involved in uh, regulatory issues, in uh, effective design of energy efficiency, clean energy systems, distributed energy resources. I also serve as the director for the U.S. Department of Energy's New York, New Jersey Combined Heat and Power, CHP, Combined Heat and Power Center. I will be speaking today solely in my role as the uh, deputy director of PACE, but for many years we've also been involved in the U.S. Department of Energy's Combined Heat and Power, CHP, work and today run the New York and New Jersey Center. Well, thank you, Tom. Pretty impressive uh, background and uh and resume. So if you could uh, start off the some of the questions I have, uh, can you just help me with uh, defining what is a microgrid? A microgrid is a self-contained energy system, typically, though not always, but typically it works interconnected with the utility grid, or let's call it the macro grid. A microgrid provides electric power and heating and cooling hot water to a particular uh, geographic area. Uh, such as a college campus, uh, perhaps a large multifamily complex, an industrial park, uh, a neighborhood, um, or a military installation. Microgrids are a way to provide a, a, an isolated, independently operating energy system for a block, uh, a neighborhood, mm. uh, a large development. So jumping into some of the additional questions, uh, what would be some of the benefits uh, of a microgrid or a microgrid community, if if I can give that, use that term. Sure. Well, let me ex explore a little bit more about what uh, a microgrid is, and in that way, I think it would uh, help to to uh, amplify this. Microgrids mm -hmm. incorporate a variety of of different what we call distributed energy technologies. That is, rather than a central power plant supplying power and uh, independent uh, boilers or furnaces uh, providing uh, heating and hot water. The microgrid typically provides power within this 
particular geographic footprint and oftentimes uses this combined heat and power application where power is generated and the excess uh, or waste heat from that power is then utilized in a very efficient manner to provide heating, hot water, and, and cooling or air conditioning for that site. So the, the microgrid configuration oftentimes will include a variety of, of clean distributed energy forms. It can be a very smart way of using our country's natural gas resources, reciprocating engines or gas combustion turbines, providing electric power, and along with that, the efficient production of heat. But it also and increasingly does incorporate battery storage or thermal energy storage, and it also incorporates renewable energy, solar energy, in particular, and even uh, EV charging stations. So this microgrid can provide the full complement of uh, distributed energy resources, including the technologies that would be used like uh, EVs to electrify and reduce the environmental footprint of our um, transportation system, as well as uh, renewable energy designed to uh, decarbonize um, our, our power system. Very good. That's great information. Uh, that gives me a little better handle on, uh, you know, microgrids. A little bit about the, you know, the advantages, the benefits for microgrids. So tell me a little bit about the challenges. There are several challenges for microgrids, and let me first state that that microgrids. Uh, are in existence. Uh, once again, uh, this is not a case of, uh, mm -hmm. of something that doesn't exist. It's a case of it can be done because it has been done. <laughs> we, <laughs> we have done this and we're doing it uh, uh, more and more so. The microgrid concept has been used in hospitals and military is using it much more so. There's a lot of applications for military bases that wish to be self-sufficient during any sort of critical uh, infrastructure or power emergency, the same with a hospital. Hospitals have an absolute need for power. Uh, many businesses, IT, data processing has an absolute need for power. And then there are um, other applications where it would be very desirable, like uh, multifamily complexes, public housing, uh, to, to have a, a, a source of power to keep vulnerable populations in place during emergency situations. Now, getting back to the challenges, uh, microgrids have developed first in areas where you have one large property owner. So let's say a military complex uh, that includes all sorts of different operations on a base, that includes housing, that includes offices, that includes uh, maybe some sort of production or repair facilities. Or for another example, let's consider um, a university. There's, there's uh, many instances on universities. The university would include dorms, it would include laboratories, it would include research, it would include uh, you know, data centers uh, mm -hmm. and classrooms. Um, hospitals are another great application. Uh, the hospital is often a very large complex spanning, um, you know, a, a city block or more. In these instances, and the reason why I'm, I'm building out, it, it, it's likely to happen here first, is you have a single property with a single owner. There may be multiple buildings, there may be multiple types of operation, but it's all under the control of a single owner. The challenges uh, ar arise at the point where 
you are trying to generate and sell power uh, to multiple entities. So for example, let's say you have a, a, a microgrid, let's say it's at a hospital, but it wants to sell power across the street to the shopping center or wants to sell power up the hill to a gas station or a pharmacy. In that case, you're crossing roads, you're uh, involving several unaffiliated business owners, and this brings in challenges from a variety of perspective. Challenge number one is it often runs contrary to utility franchise rights. Utilities often have an exclusive franchise to serve the customers in an area. So once you get beyond the, you know, the confines of the hospital and all of its facilities or the university campus and all of its facilities and you start, you know, selling power or or providing hot water, cooling, or, or heat up and down the street, uh, you may run into franchise, utility franchise issues. There's also um, a host of other issues, codes, siting, permitting, you know, running the electrical conduit, uh, running the pipes, uh, providing hot water or providing chilled water for uh, whether it be heating hot water or cooling. And, um, and other challenges such as uh, the, the challenges involved in getting multiple different customers. Again, let's go back to that example. I said, suppose you had a hospital, a big hospital that was an anchor in a downtown area, and you had nearby customers who also wanted that power or that resiliency. Let's say they included a gas station. Let's say they included a, a shopping center, let's say a pharmacy. You then have several different businesses and you have to put together a, a legal uh, and financial arrangement that shares responsibility across those various users. So I think you can see that it becomes a bit more complex as it grows out. Those are definitely interesting challenges and really haven't thought of it that way. I think that that brings a lot of value to just having this conversation and to, you know, to the people who are listening. Now, uh, despite the challenges, these these arrangements are definitely growing in interest uh, around the country. And in our part, let me speak to my area, the, which I know best, the Northeast, New York, mm -hmm. New Jersey, New England. We had a, a, a huge increase in interest in microgrids that occurred after a couple of severe storms. There was a, uh, a late fall storm that hit Connecticut and knocked power out. Uh, this was in 2011, and it knocked power out for a large part of the state, for in some cases for several weeks. A, uh, a late fall snowstorm, you know, heavy wet snows, bringing down tree branches, knocking down power lines. That led the Connecticut legislature to create what I believe was the country's first um, microgrid pilot program. That was immediately followed in the Northeast the next year in 2012 by Superstorm Sandy. Superstorm mm -hmm. Sandy, of course, um, uh, leveled large parts of New York, New Jersey, and went up into New England and, and even as far as Maine. Particularly hard hit was, was New York, where uh, large parts of the city were out of power for some time. A major hospital, uh, Langone Hospital, NYU Langone, uh, made national news when they lost power. And, you know, on national news, you saw people being carried 17 floors down, you know, by hand in their beds, um, critical uh, care patients. 
And so hospitals and other critical facilities said, we can't afford to let something like this happen again. We want a combined heat and power. We want a resilient microgrid. You know, we want to ensure 24 seven uh, power. In New Jersey, for example, New Jersey following Hurricane Sandy used 200 million of their HUD relief money. Uh, Housing and Urban Development provided Sandy relief money and uh, the state of New Jersey created a very innovative, what they called an energy resiliency bank, ERB. And that bank subsequently was used to fund several uh, hospital microgrid projects, as well as projects at wastewater treatment plants were obviously very important uh, sources of, of, of resilient power. That's kind of the context of, you know, why microgrids are uh, initially gained prominence in in the public dialogue. Uh, The same has happened in Texas. Severe storms that hit Texas a couple of years ago, uh, there was a large Texas hospital center which was able to run isolated from the grid. When Sandy hit Long Island, there was a center that included a hospital and a nursing home on Long Island that ran almost two weeks where the surrounding area had no power. So this has precipitated in the interest among citizens, among policymakers, uh, among cities, city officials, city and state officials to uh, look into the development for specific areas of, of microgrids and the resiliency benefits that they that they can provide to a community. Okay, great, great. Again, great, uh, great information. Um, so uh, what does the future look like for microgrids, and especially as uh, you had mentioned earlier in your conversation about EVs and technology uh, requiring, you know, more power, more energy, more data, more information. What do you see the future look like for the microgrid communities as we move forward here? I think that there's a pretty bright future for for microgrids. We will continuously see an interest in microgrids driven by storms. Um, As we see storms, as we see the need for more resilient power, there will be a continued need. But there are other drivers as well. The microgrid um, is a really smart way of using a variety of different technologies. First of all, they oftentimes utilize combined heat and power or cogeneration kind of at the center of the project along with the renewables and the storage. Combined heat and power, the United States is blessed with great natural gas resources and and combined heat and power is the smartest way to use our natural gas resource. Gas, natural gas in power generation may be anywhere from 35 to 40 percent efficient, uh, 40 certainly at the high end. You generate power far away from the site and then you have all the losses in transmission and distribution. When you're generating power at your site, you have no losses in the T&D system because it's right there. Furthermore, though, because the gas system is so much more resilient than the electric system, the electric system is subject to, you know, wires coming down and winds and snow and ice. The gas system is far more resilient. That's just an empirical fact. Uh, Gas outages are far less, far, far less likely to occur. But beyond that, it also incorporates the microgrid incorporates communications, IT, broadband, advanced controls and smart optimization algorithms. So it, it allows these various systems 
that are often uh, desired and in utilization or in increasing utilization by communities and smart communities, it packages these together in an ecosystem that allows for a reduced carbon pollution, it allows for uh, lower energy costs, it allows for reduced uh, macro utility distribution costs, and it just provides um, a really good ecosystem for building out your renewables. You know, one way to do renewables is on a, a rooftop, you know, one rooftop at a time. That may not be uh, the most uh, efficient way to do it. Uh, not everybody has a, a good south face. Uh, many buildings are tree shaded. Uh, the buildings I think of in New York City, again, the Northeast, uh, going back to my particular area, you know, you've got uh, very uh, tall buildings where uh, with very high power density and PV on those buildings is just absolutely insufficient. But the microgrid uh, may be a really smart way of integrating renewable resources along with extremely efficient, high efficiency, environmentally superior utilization of natural gas and including including things like EV charging to reduce uh, our transportation uh, environmental footprint. So I, I see the, uh, the future as being pretty bright. I see uh, there definitely needs to be changes in the regulatory environment. And let me go back to what we do. <laughs> um, <laughs> This, uh, this is where our, our center fits in. We've always worked on the edge of the regulatory and the market frameworks that help accelerate clean energy technologies, energy efficiency, and renewable energy. Energy uh, systems are, you know, this is not uh, a free market economy. You know, it's, it's not like, you know, setting up a restaurant. Anybody can do it anywhere they want <laughs> with the right resources. It's not even like creating a new software product. You create a software product, you sell it in the market, it works or it doesn't work. When you're providing power and cooling and heating, you, you know, there are, uh, it's a regulated utility. Um, you're regulated by, you know, you have local regulation, you have a state public utility commission uh, regulating you, that you have the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission or FERC. So, John, this is an area that needs a lot of attention by cities, by businesses, by policymakers to create the right regulatory framework as well as the right market rules. So, for example, once again, we tend to stovepipe or to kind of uh, create in isolation various incentives. So, you know, you uh, many many states. If you put solar on your rooftop, you get an incentive. You know, if you put if you have wind, you get an incentive. These are kind of uh, one by one stovepiped um, and not generalized. The the microgrid, I think, calls for. And once again, this is where our center and, and centers like us and advocates for this fit in. The microgrid can provide kind of an overarching package or like I said, an ecosystem where if you're paying, rather than paying individual technologies, you can pay a system for its reductions in, in carbon emissions, pay a system for its reduction in criteria pollutants. So we see a particularly uh, attractive future uh, because we see a move towards renewables, we de see a definite move towards EVs. The president and the Congress, uh, Democrats and Republicans alike, have seen fit to, in the infrastructure bill, dedicate a lot of money to upgrade of the grid. 
the electric grid. Uh, the microgrid uh, certainly supports that by working alongside the so-called existing utility macrogrid. It, it both supports it by reducing uh, stresses on that macrogrid and by providing increased reliability. So there is money coming to do this. Uh, broadband helps facilitate this. Again, back to what I was saying before, the microgrid really relies on advanced controls, communications facilitated by broadband, facilitated by smart IT and optimization algorithms. What it lacks today to really flourish is the right kind of a regulatory environment and the right kind of um, a market framework which identifies uh, positive benefits, the benefit of resiliency, the benefit of providing grid support for the utility, the benefit of providing reliability for critical infrastructure so that the hospital can keep running, so that you know the, the, the senior uh, multifamily complex uh, or the nursing home is kept running and you don't have to uh, move patients during a storm. So uh, recognition of those benefits, new incentive systems that measure and uh, quantify and pay for those benefits in a smarter way than we do today, I think is what is going to help. And I've, I've neglected, although I shouldn't, because there's a huge and growing market for electric vehicles and charging stations and, and all the required assets that make the EV revolution occur that too can be incorporated in part in this whole ecosystem. Wow, I certainly learned a lot today. I mean, this is this is definitely a, you know, a great education on the microgrid, what the benefits are, what the challenges are and and where it's going. I I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, our clients are having these conversations every day about uh, you know, what does the future look like? What does the forecast look like for uh, this environment as we move into the smart city or intelligent city uh, environment. So today this uh, concludes our podcast. Tom, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate again you taking the time and uh, effort and insight to provide uh, provide us uh, in the microgrid technology. Thank you very much, John. Much appreciated. All right. Have a great day. Bye now. To read a transcript of this podcast, visit the PSR website at powersys.com and click on the podcast archive. Thank you for joining the PSR PowerTalk podcast. This podcast will be available on demand. Search for PSR PowerTalk in your podcast app or Google Power Systems Research to sign up today.